All right, you ready for this? Ready. Tom Salami, welcome back to Device Box Weekly, <laughs> episode five. <laughs> I'm in my recording closet. Chris Newmarker is hanging out at a daycare center somewhere outside of uh, in a hidden That's location right. outside of Minneapolis. That's right. Have, uh, have the it's inmates a... taken over the asylum yet, Chris? <laughs> We're holding the line, Tom. We're holding the line. <laughs> Hang in there. Hang in there. We'll get we'll get through this together, you and me. So, uh, so this we'll week we'll get through this. We will. We will. We'll get. There's light at the end of the at the end of the tunnel. So, that's right. So I'm told. Um, so we're here to talk about devices. Sorry, folks. This week we're uh, actually looking at uh, innovation because uh, we've been focusing a lot on on sort of manufacturing and some of the the the, the here and now of medical devices. But I had a. It's just an interesting conversation, two interesting conversations about where we're headed for the future and where innovation is heading and where funding is heading. So talked to uh, an, an old friend of mine, Paul Grand, from uh, formerly of RCT Technologies, but now he's in charge of the MedTech Innovator Program, which is very impressive. Uh, a very, I don't know if you've, have you caught any of their uh, presentations at, at meetings, Chris? Oh, yes. And, you know, we've, you know, we've actually, I mean, they, they run all kinds of, uh, you know, kind of like startup contests and we've you know written a lot about like the different startups that's that have interacted with them so yeah paul's really um really active with a lot of uh startups and young companies in the space so we talked to him he had a great perspective not only on on what entrepreneurs are doing to raise money and he'll give some advice uh at the end of our interview but also he and i talked a bit about events and where those are headed medtech innovator has been present at advamed and some of the larger medtech meetings uh, but now they're starting to run more. They this week started a virtual meeting and did a virtual pitch contest there. So we talked about the value of that and where the opportunities to network might be headed going forward. So uh, Paul has an interesting take on that. And also, I'm going to speak with a gentleman who's in Israel, and his name is uh, is Shai Poliker, and he's with MedX Accelerator, which is a medtech incubator. He's actually optimistic about innovation, about funding. He says they're still looking at deals. So uh, hopefully this will be a an interesting and uplifting episode of uh, of Device Talks Weekly. First, let's visit with Paul Grand. Paul and I knew each other back in the day when he was a VC. And as we'll learn in this interview, Paul saw a, well, a gap that needed to be filled. So he has created this really, well, we'll say innovative, innovative program called MedTech Innovator that is uh, giving the startups or giving startups the boost they need to uh, to succeed. So let's hear from Paul. Well, Paul Grand, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. I'm very uh, happy to be here. Trying to remember how long we've known each other. It's been a very long time when you were in- investing on behalf of uh, of RCT, right? And uh, now you're the uh, the medtech innovator guru. So uh, it's been a, a good good transition for you. I want to I want to get a little more about your background and uh, a very quick synopsis as, as to what MedTech Innovator 
is. It's a really fascinating program, and I'm not sure if uh, all of our listeners are really up to date until what, what you're trying to do with the MedTech Innovator Program. Sure. Thank you very much, Tom. So, yeah, we have known each other for a while. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been quite some time, probably a decade or so, I have to imagine. Uh, and, you know, MedTech Innovator, as you mentioned, started as a program while I was a venture capitalist at RCT Ventures. Uh, before that, I was an entrepreneur starting companies in tech, med tech, and biopharma. So uh, I've done quite a bit in terms of the startup world. And uh, I guess I would say from a general perspective, if you were to think about MedTech Innovator, it is an industry effort to find technologies that as an industry, we believe can really make a difference in healthcare in terms of bending the cost curve, uh, in improving outcomes for patients, in making a difference for uh, people, giving people the ability to live longer, healthier lives. Um, as an industry, we want to find those companies and make sure that when we find them, we give them the assistance needed so that their technologies reach the market, reach patients, and offer the appropriate value so that those products actually can be purchased. So it's definitely an industry pipeline initiative, if you want to call it that, to make sure we've got a healthy pipeline of companies. Did you see some sort of inefficiencies in the venture model that you created this to, uh, to smooth out? Well, what I saw was this big impact that had still been continuing as a result of the financial crisis and the subsequent exit of most brand venture investors uh, from the medtech space. Uh, and as a result, we had all these startups out there who were still innovating, but were no longer showing up at conferences. And I remember talking to Casey McGlynn at Wilson's and Cini about that. He said, you're right. You know, we're not, we're not seeing these startups at the conferences anymore. And, you know, what are we going to do about that? And I said, well, we could, you know, we could do something like American Idol for medical technology and we could put the startups, put the startups in front of the stage and uh, in front of the audience. And he said, that sounds great. Let's do it. So uh, that was the first time we did uh, MedTech Idol back in 2013. Um, we then transitioned after that to be MedTech Innovator. But it was really, you know, uh, an opportunity to bring the startups together with the people that I thought needed to um, needed to know about them and to be helping them. And um, what I've seen since then is a continued problem. So going back to you know what I observed in 2013 still remains today, which is that. The people who are supporting and funding startups in med tech and broader, I would say, in health tech tend to not be people who uh, have a lot of experience in bringing products to market. So they might be family offices or angel investors or tech investors classically. But as I said, most of the sophisticated med tech investors left the space, um, the early stage space, a long time ago, and they really haven't come back. So how have you sought to, uh, to remedy that? Talk us, talk us through quickly uh, just what you're doing with, with MedTech Innovator. Yeah, so um, the, you know, the microphone and talking on stage is really you know, the smallest part, I would say, of what we do. It's important. Um, it's a nice carrot. But it's really the program we put together, the accelerator that we run. Um, in partnership with 20 corporate partners, companies like Johnson & Johnson and Baxter and Olympus um, and so on. Um, we have uh, really a, a great group of corporate partners, as I said, who are very aligned with the outcomes for these products. You know, we want to make sure these products are actually products that would fit very well 
into one of those organizations ultimately and be usable and not have to be ripped apart and rebuilt or redesigned or the economics rethought. Um, we want to make sure these products can be deployed. And so we work together with those corporate partners to uh, identify the needs that they have to go out and source companies that would fulfill those needs. And then once we find those companies to invite them to pitch at in-person events where they have an opportunity to get feedback from our partners, as well as for, from people like investors and providers and others who are stakeholders in the industry. Um, it could be FDA, it could be others um, who are participating in that um, and to give them that opportunity. And then from that, we advance companies to be part of our program, which is 50 companies in our main program, another 10 companies in a pediatric track that we do as part of a FDA funded uh, pediatric consortium. Um, then we also have a U uh, not in addition to our US program, we have an Asia Pacific focused program that does the same thing in the Asia Pacific region with 20 startups there. So um, 80 startups a year are part of that program and they're getting mentorship, they're getting guidance, they're getting access to the strategics, they're getting um, you know the feedback they need and uh, in some cases resources they need in terms of co-development or other uh, assets to bring these products to market. How has the fundraising process changed post-COVID-19? From your perspective, how are things shifting in the, in the fundraising world? Well, I think, um, you know, the fundraising world, you know, there's always a little bit of a lag um, until, you know, people react and really kind of um, adapt to the new environment, to the new normal. Um, I don't think we're at the new normal quite yet. Uh, so I think there's been a scramble um, since the crisis, I think, became clear that it was a crisis. Uh, and so investors that we've spoken to have started uh, looking inwardly at their portfolio and thinking about how they're going to support those companies. Um, and that support is sometimes in financial resources. Um, sometimes that support is just really well needed guidance. Um, so, you know, it's not, you know, the gut check, the gut reaction is always like, oh, quick, cut your burn rate and, you know, do things that so you can survive longer. But sometimes that's not the right thing to do. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of um, thoughtful discussions going on from what I've heard with startups about, you know, whether to slow down, whether to accelerate. Um, obviously, clinical studies are on hold for a lot of companies, not all of them. You know, so if they're still in oncology, for example, um, cancer patients are still going in for therapy and for supportive care. And so those clinical studies are continuing. Um, uh, and there are other people who um, are at home and who can't do their studies anymore and who are, you know, um, who are thinking about how they're going to raise capital, you know, so it's the extremes of people. And of course, there's a lot of startups who are pivoting and who are providing solutions specific to COVID and seeking support, whether it's financial or co-development to pivot their products um, or people who had products that were ready to go um, and maybe already approved and deployed in some way, but are now aggressively deploying those for, for COVID um, so there's, you know, there's major extremes and, and I think just the COVID opportunity, if you want to call it that, is providing financial support for a lot of companies. You know, we're seeing um, organizations like BARDA, uh, MedTech Innovators and Accelerator for BARDA. And for those of your listeners who don't know BARDA, um, it's an agency that has been preparing for um, a crisis like this um, since its inception. The whole idea of BARDA um, was to provide medical countermeasures 
for things like bioterrorism and biohazards and pandemics. Um, they're very actively funding everything from vaccines and other treatments to um, technologies that can monitor patients, um, whether they're you know in the acute setting or post-discharge, um, or hopefully detect people getting sick before they even know they're they're sick and other things. So um, there's a lot of great work going on there. But the things that we're seeing on the funding side are in some investors who are, as I said, inwardly looking at supporting their portfolio and putting other investments on pause. So they're, you know, they're not out there taking meetings, um, I mean, whether from home or otherwise, they're not actively seeking new investments at all. Um, there are other investors who have, you know, maybe recently raised a fund and are um, have a lot of capital to deploy and who are still very aggressively talking to entrepreneurs and taking meetings. Um, and then there are people who are kind of in between um, who are, you know, who are looking at, you know, maybe having to rethink their portfolio allocations um, where they, you know, they were planning on holding off on maybe committing additional capital to their existing portfolio and we're just going to focus on new investments, but now they're reallocating their portfolio. So there's a lot of that kind of thinking happening um, that's going on. Um, I know people are taking virtual board meetings. Um, and I think there's going to be a maybe a long-term impact that I'm hoping is going to be very positive and that people who used to only want to regionally invest in companies where they could get to a board meeting, you know, with a drive um, may uh, get used to virtual board meetings and be willing to go a little further. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity. Well, speaking of virtual, you had a virtual event this week. Uh, we're obviously seeing a lot of those in the industry. Do you see virtual events like this lasting beyond the uh, the COVID-19 crisis, or is it more of a stopgap? Well, for most people, I think it's a stopgap. Um, a lot of a lot of the people who do virtual who do who are doing virtual events um, really aren't set up for that and would much prefer to do them in person. Uh, and I think um, you know, and I'd include us in that um, category. You know, we while we run a virtual accelerator, so our accelerator program, the entire thing is done virtually. Um, our preference is to get together in person and to have a chance to really get to know the entrepreneurs and for our partners to get to know the entrepreneurs and others who are there. Um, because a lot of this really does come down to, do we want to work with these people? And, you know, it's not just, is it an important technology, but, you know, is this startup going to be receptive to our feedback? Um, we're going to give them all this guidance and access and, and resource. Are they going to do anything with it? Or um, is it a waste of time? And it's kind of hard to do that over Zoom, frankly. Um, you know, we're adapting and we're figuring out how to do it. Um, and it's just requiring, you know, more diligence and more calls and more one-on-one -on -one time in addition to our initial pitches. Um, but, you know, I will say it's more efficient to do that in person. Just final question, and I didn't really prepare you for this one, but if someone is out there and they need to raise money, what is the, what kind of advice would you give them? Is it, uh, is it best to wait until things sort of warm up again and, and get back to some sort of normal? Or what would you advise them to do uh, to, uh, to reach out, I guess, and keep their idea moving forward? Well, I definitely suggest they continue reaching out um, to uh, investors. What's very clear to me is that there are investors who are absolutely making investments right now. Um, so you definitely want to be reaching out. We're actually putting up a resource on MedTech Innovators website for people to give us um, their input or their status in terms of fundraising right now. Um, so in addition to, you know, we had over a thousand companies apply this year for MedTech Innovator. Um, which is um, which is pretty amazing. That's certainly a record for us. 
Um, but in addition to those companies, you know, we're, we're surveying those companies for their latest updates in terms of fundraising. And then we're also asking others to let us know what their status is in terms of fundraising. So that'll be on medtechinnovator.org. There'll be a link right off the homepage um, shortly. And that, um, that'll, that's basically a survey where they can tell us their current status. So I, you know, we're actually reaching out with updates. Um, we're taking a consolidation of that information and sending that to in investors. Um, we have, you know, hundreds of investors who we're in contact with. So we're just going to send them updates on who's fundraising and what they're seeking. And uh, is there a lead investor identified and so on? So, you know, I think you should absolutely be reaching out. Um, you shouldn't, you know, you definitely have to be doing things like looking at, you know, PPP loans and uh, other opportunities. But um, once you kind of get your house in order remotely, then um, and get your, you know, short term needs taken care of, then I think the you know, the fundraising, you know, has to continue. And frankly, you know, as you know, Tom, um, as I said before, most of these uh, brand name investors um, have left the early stage space anyways. So, uh, you know, this kind of fragmented investor ecosystem isn't changing as a result of COVID. Um, maybe some of the angels are reevaluating their own, you know, personal portfolios and maybe not writing $50,000 checks as quickly, but, but, but people who have capital still want to make investments and, the short-term crisis of COVID, and when I say short-term, it could be three months or you know two years um, until uh, we have vaccines and things in place. Whatever that timeline is, you know that that will pass, and and the the long-term needs that we all have in healthcare aren't going away, um, and the need for supporting innovation is as important now, and maybe even more important now than ever before. So, uh, entrepreneurs. Keep reaching out, keep contacting investors. There's a lot of people sitting at home who um, might take your cold emails, formerly only would take an introduction email. So um, this is definitely a time to continue that, that outreach. That's great advice. Paul, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a pleasure. But one thing we wanted to start to get into is just tapping into the the, the, the temperature that you can take over at Mass Device as to what articles are really sort of drawing interest and in getting clicks and being read. So what are some of the uh, more highly read articles uh, this week at, uh, at Mass Device? Well, I mean, it really it really is, you know, articles associated with the pandemic. And I mean, it says it says something that um, I mean, our um, our page views are, are, are through the roof. We're getting you know just just already just a few days into April, we have hundreds of thousands of page views, and um, I think it's just because people in the industry are just like, what what is going on? You know, where where are all the deals going on? Um, you know, things are moving. You know, we're we're getting you know, I mean, actually, some of the stuff that's really gotten the most attention, you know, involves like you know the government actually stepping in. Using the Defense Production Act now, we're all of a sudden we're like you know seeing some really like major deals related to like getting some ventilators made you know to you know to you know to uh, you know help uh, help people across the country and maybe even around the world. Um, you know, one of uh, the the really big stories we just uh, you know we just covered uh, the other day was that uh, was that Philips uh, has you know under an agreement with the U.S. government is going to be, you know, doubling its ventilator production by, by May. And this is like a $646.7 million deal, million with, with an M at the front deal. And, uh, you know, the, the idea is they're going to get, um, you know, the, uh, the goal is that they're going to, you know, get us, uh, 2,500 ventilators for our strategic national stockpile by the end of May. We'll get a total of 43,000 ventilators by the end of the year. 
So, you know, some stuff's moving. Um, HHS was saying there was going to be, uh, you know, more deals similar to this coming. So we'll, we'll be keeping an eye out for those. So keep an eye out on Mass Device. We're going to be, uh, you know, having more, more breaking news uh, with, with other deals uh, coming down. Do, do, you know how, do you know how that deal came to how Phillips, Phillips got to be chosen? Well, I mean, they're one of the major ventilator producers in the world. And uh, I mean, you know, and, and, and basically, I mean, the government's saying that there's going to be a, a total of, of five, you know, um, contracts coming down by, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, within the week. So, I mean, it's just almost like I, I, I'd expect like you're going to see all the major ventilator producers. It's going to be like, okay, and this is, this is the deal we've struck with the government. Uh, I got you. Provide, you know, so, so this Phillips, you know, was the, you know, one of the first out of the gate. Um, you know, the, there was also, I mean, actually the first one was, was Trump in late May, like ordering uh, General Motors and Ventec Life Sciences to, to produce ventilators. So like that got it kind of got it going and now we got the Phillips deal. And then, you know, we're, you know, going to be, uh, you know, watching out for more deals from, you know, some of the other major companies. And at the same time, I know your coverage of 3M got uh, a lot of attention as well, uh, which is kind of an interesting uh, parallel to the Phillips news. Yeah, that's another case where I, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were getting a lot of uh, of criticism from, you know, Trump, you know, saying like, okay, you're, you know, selling all these, you know, N N95 masks over overseas. Like he was even saying on Twitter that you know 3M was going to have a big price to pay, but then. Um, you know, earlier this week under the Defense Production Act, they're going to be, um, you know, uh, you know, importing an additional 166.5 million respirators from China over the next three months. And so now, now, now Trump uh, on April 6th said, uh, said 3M is a great company. So, you know, here, so that, so, you know, opinions can really change then, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, yeah, no, things can turn around and it's, and, that did seem to be a bit of a a knock on the medtech industry that whole that whole uh, dispute. So it's good that it got resolved uh, fairly quickly. And uh, as you said, we're moving forward with other yeah. ventilators. I know you had an article over at MDO as well. Uh, a couple of other companies are stepping up to build ventilators, correct? Well, you know, the interesting thing with the MDO article that was about uh, two uh, contract manufacturers in the Twin Cities, Nortec Systems and. You know, Minitronics, you know, looking to, to get going on, on building some ventilators. So, um, you know, like, you know, like, you know, they're, they're seriously considering making machines based off Medtronic's Puritan Bennett 560, which is kind of like a, a more affordable ventilator model. Uh, actually, just uh, just to, today, the news was out that, uh, you know, that Medtronic got a emergency use authorization from uh, the FDA to, you know, to get the 560, you know, you know, sold in the United States. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you even got contract manufacturers getting in on, on the action, you know, to, you know, to produce ventilators. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of, some of these other major contract manufacturers that we interact with a lot around the country, uh, you know, say, Hey, we, you know, we know how to make medical devices, you know, we can make ventilators. It makes more sense than, than no offense to GM, than GM or Tesla. That's for sure. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Like an auto company. Yeah. yeah. So that's great. So it's good to see the news on uh, on that front and some yeah. some progress made on in ventilators. Yeah, so. really good news, and especially because I mean we, yeah, I mean the governors across the country are still saying they desperately need this stuff. So I mean it's it's good to know that 
you know, we're going to get some more stuff produced. Hopefully it gets uh, produced to, you know, help, uh, you know, some of the parts of the country like uh, New York City that are like and really, you know, in the thick of it right now. All right, we're going to steer the conversation back to innovation. I interviewed Shai Palikar. Shai is the CEO of MedX Accelerator. It's based in Israel. It has backing of Boston Scientific, Intellectual Ventures, and others. And I spoke with Shai a few weeks ago. Uh, we talked a bit about COVID-19 and how it was impacting Israel. I actually removed that part of the interview from this podcast just because, honestly, it seemed a bit dated. Things have moved so quickly. So we did concentrate on funding on how MedX does business. It currently has six companies that's in its portfolio. It grows them to the point where they can get institutional capital from other sources, and it's close at the time of the interview. It was close to having a, one of those companies, its first company, raise a, an outside round. So it's, it's seeing success, and Shai had some thoughts on raising money in this day and age. Let's listen. Shai Palikar, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, thanks for having me. So you wrote a uh, piece for folks who were interested in starting up med tech uh, companies, and it was some really helpful advice that ran in our uh, March uh, MDO magazine. And uh, bringing you back today because the, the world's changed considerably, unfortunately, since, uh, since you wrote that. And I, and I want to understand how organizations like yours are adapting to these new times. So I think the first thing I'd like to ask you is just to tell us a little bit about Med Accelerator, so our listeners know uh, where you're coming from and, and what your organization does. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, definitely, it sounds like it was written in the like a previous century or something. Definitely, things have been changing, and uh, we are trying uh, hard to handle the situation, uh, keep things moving as much as possible, both for the accelerator and for the and for the companies that we are investing in and managing. So um, the the accelerator is a medtech incubator. Uh, it's a private partnership, uh, um, somewhat like a venture capital fund, but uh, different in some important ways. The partners are Boston Scientific, uh, that I'm sure you know, um, Intellectual Venture, uh, which is a fund uh, in, uh, based out of uh, Seattle. This is uh, Bill Gates and his partners. Uh, a fund uh, called Medex, uh, Medex Partners, which is Medex Ventures, which is uh, they are mostly interested in medical robotics. They have two uh, two companies uh, here in Israel. Um, so these are the three investing uh, uh, partners, and we are also ha- we also have a partnership with the Sheba Medical Center. They own 10% of the incubator. This is the biggest uh, hospital, government hospital uh, in Israel. It's a it's a very very large medical center. It's uh, I, it's definitely the biggest in the Middle East. I think it's also one of the biggest in. Uh, in uh, Europe, uh, it was uh, titled by Newsweek by one of the 10 best uh, uh, hospitals in the world. Uh, and we get access to, to their very uh, wide range of facilities and, and physicians. So our goal, our goal is to invest uh, in very early stage, super early stage medical device uh, ventures. As I'm sure you know, this is never easy to raise money for uh, you know, seed funding for, for such a venture. And uh, we uh, are working under a license from the Israeli government, the, the Innovation Authority, the Israeli Innovation Authority, that basically uh, provide us with a grant for every investment that we are doing. So, the, so from one hand, uh, this is a this is a private uh, fund, 
um, run by its, uh, by its partner, by its team. Uh, on the other hand, every time we, we are making an investment, about 80% of this investment is funded by the government in the form of a very, um, a very convenient uh, a grant. Uh, basically, a grant that needs to be paid back by the company only out of sales when they reach sales. So it's a kind of zero risk uh, grant from the, size of, from the side of the, of the fund. Uh, the, the the government doesn't hold any equity, so we are we are practically receiving the equity related to this investment on behalf of the of the government, and it is owned uh, partially by the incubator itself and partially directly by the by the partners. Uh, we are looking for things that are innovative and uh, can have a significant uh, um, significant impact with a large uh, uh, market share and things that we can really make a difference because the program is is very structured it's a two-year program in which we are providing uh, eight hundred thousand dollars which is not a lot of money uh, obviously for for um for an early stage uh, venture and we will only invest in those uh, ideas and ventures that we believe that the the incubator team together with the partners can really make a difference and let's say in four or five quarters we can reach a, a, a significant important milestone that will allow us to go out and, and raise the, the next round of funding. Going, going forward, what do you think is the largest challenge for you? Is it, is it the impact on, on just normal interactions with others, the inability to, to meet and interact and network? Or are your fears more uh, economic-based, that you're just worried that the, the economy won't be there to support the investors who are supporting your companies and, and helping you bring these devices eventually to market? So I think from the side, if I'm looking just on the you know the narrow point of view of the incubator, it looks like our partners are strong enough. I'm, I'm actually pretty sure about this. They are strong enough to continue and support the incubator. It has been a, a pretty successful uh, activity for them so far. So I am not concerned about the incubator per se, uh, even when, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure economics will definitely be on a, you know, on a very different kind of pathway um, in the coming months and maybe even more than that. I, I do believe that there will be a, um, a shortage of investors uh, because there will be so much good companies getting into trouble right now uh, and on the way out of it that the lower risk investment will suddenly be very very attractive uh, so why go and risk uh, um, you know funding um, a, a medtech venture that will take its time to you know to reach the market and not invest in a, in a much more kind of mundane uh, simple uh, and and still very lucrative uh, other equity investment. So that I think would be the the biggest challenge. Um, and this is something uh, I think the the partnership that we have with the government and their support, and they definitely already they they really moved very fast, clarifying that everything business as usual on their side. You know, even though that they are all government employees, they are open for business, walking through Zoom and Skype and everything that, that we need. And they are open for new grants and investments. Uh, so uh, we really appreciate that. So it looks like we will be able to, to continue and support our existing company companies and even make new investments without any major impact, at least in the foreseeable uh, future. Um, for those companies that we have that are already in touch with investors or just closing a, a funding round, 
I uh, hopefully things will continue their their course. Uh, I think I would be more concerned about those companies that are still, you know, working on getting to this milestone, and uh, maybe investors are not going to be as open as they were just a few weeks ago uh, to uh, innovations. Interesting. Well, these are these are challenging times. Any advice for uh, for others out there trying to uh, trying to find investment or or just keep their companies afloat? Uh, again, depending on stage, I think um, uh, Israeli uh, companies or ideas or projects that could be candidates for for an incubator like ours, they are still. We are just gonna. We are, I think we we've just either done this or doing that very soon on LinkedIn and other and other pathways. We are open for business. So if if someone has an early stage idea and is and is looking for an investment and it's in our area of expertise, we are. Definitely happy to look at this, and we will be uh, trying to invest almost as as, uh, as usual. We are talking to people on you know on Zoom. <laughs> I, I think I spend now like seven hours a day on on Zoom at least. And uh, there is no lab space. It's very hard. You know, sometimes it's challenging not to do face to face meetings. But we are you know in the global world of today, we are um, we are definitely used to you know doing video conferencing and. Uh, and communicating like that um, instead of just traveling. We are, based, by the way, we are open also to getting investment, um, to getting ideas and investing in ideas coming from outside of Israel. There is no uh, geographical limitation. So we are in discussion, for example, with several American and European universities about IP and projects that they have. And this is from our side. This is going to continue. If, if they are on the other side, uh, you know, talking to us, we'll continue looking at investments. Terrific. Well, Shai, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Excellent. Well, that wraps up our discussion on innovation before we uh, close things out. Uh, Paul Grand and I did talk a bit about events. We obviously do events here. Uh, our device talks events uh, are coming up and uh, we'll have some news on our June events very shortly and, and some exciting new programs that we're uh, rolling out to uh, help the med tech world remain connected at this time when uh, in-person events are, are very, very challenging. So Stay tuned. We'll probably have news on our next Device Talks weekly podcast and uh, let you know what we're doing there. So, all right, well, that's a wrap. Chris Newmarker, where are you on social media? How can people find you? You know, feel free to email me at cnewmarker, just like a new marker at wtwhmedia.com, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or at Twitter at newmarker. So, you know, happy to, to hear from people. And I can be reached on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn as my name. And you can reach me at tsalemi at wtwhmedia.com. And uh, that's a wrap, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember to uh, subscribe to this, to share this with your friends on social media and tag Chris and I. We'd love to be part of that conversation. And of course, tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of Device Talks Weekly available to you. Yep. Always great to be here. Stay safe. Awesome. I'll find out what that giant crash upstairs was. <laughs>